from the editorial team at the Northeast News, I'm Elizabeth Orozco, and this is the Northeast Newscast, a weekly podcast where we sit down with community leaders and members to talk about important topics and all things Kansas City. This episode is an extra episode that we are including this week about an important topic coming up regarding the 2020 census. Today's guest is Scott Wagner. He is the director of the Northeast Alliance Together, and he'll be explaining the ins and outs of the census, what the census is, why it's important, and really how it impacts our Northeast community. Thank you to Maximus for sponsoring this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast. Do you want to be involved with the 2020 census? Maximus is still hiring customer service reps, but they're almost finished. So stop by their final hiring event Tuesday, February 25th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 7920 Northwest 110th Street to meet the recruiters for on-the-spot interviews or apply online at maximus.com forward slash census. Again, that hiring event is Tuesday, February 25th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 7920 Northwest 110th Street. Maximus is proud to be an equal opportunity affirmative action employer. We are here today with Scott Wagner. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I appreciate your time. Always a pleasure. Wonderful. So we're going to talk today about the 2020 census, a big topic. I know a lot of people are um, discussing this in the community. Today, we're going to learn a little bit more about the census, what it is, why it's important, really, mostly for a lot of people in this community, and how to get information and how to give your information Mm -hmm. on the census. So uh, let's start by talking a little bit about what the census is. Yeah, so the census is basically the count of the population that's done every 10 years. It actually goes back to uh, the uh, really the founding of the country, where by law, a census would be taken every 10 years. And of course, uh, it has been done ever since then. The last time, of course, was back in 2010 and so we're up again but uh, it's amazing what people remember about it and some people ask well have I ever had to do this before the answer is uh, yes if you were here 10 years ago then yes you were so it is just something that is done uh, that has a lot of ramifications obviously for this community so let's talk a little bit about those ramifications because obviously this is done for a reason Mm -hmm. and is very important uh, to the community so tell us a little bit about the purpose of the census sure so you know the the general purpose of the census dating way back had to do uh, a lot with representation and it is still that way today. There is uh, the process of redistricting and reapportionment of your legislative representatives so and that really affects everything from uh, your congress members all the way down to your local municipal bodies whether it's the city or for that matter uh, the school district and you know for those who remember what happened 10 years ago the uh, you know at that time the state of Missouri had nine congressional representatives and as a result of the census it was discovered that we had fewer people in Missouri in relation to the rest of the country and as a result we actually lost a congressperson at that level it has a big effect in um, our local structure for Kansas City for example with how our districts are laid out because of how the population is recorded and where they're located but it also has a monetary 
impact as well. And that's because there are a number of federal dollars that are apportioned across the country based on population. Things like infrastructure dollars, and I always point out as an example the work that's going to be going on very soon at Independence and Paseo, $12 million project, six of it came from infrastructure dollars that came to Kansas City through the Mid-America Regional Council and here because of the number of people that live within our region. In much the same way that community development block grants are also apportioned to cities by population. And so it was estimated, and I guess I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I think it's a good time to make the point that this has real impact and counting has real impact. It's estimated that in 2010, the region undercounted itself by 1%, which means 1% of those who could have who should have participated in the census did not. It is estimated that that 1% cost this region $48 million. And when you think about all the ways that that federal money comes in, you know, you'd like to see that returned in some fashion. And that's the important part that uh, we are all taxpayers. We all pay into the federal kitty, so to speak. And when we decide to not get counted, then there is actually a financial ramification to our community. So, you know, it's a big deal, and that's why we're paying a lot of attention to it and trying to let everyone know that it's coming up so that when they see it, that they'll react to it. Um, so tell us a little bit about the types of questions that people mm-hmm. will be asked on the census. So, you know, a lot of times um, people think that the census wants to know everything about you, including your your height and who your first grade teacher was. And the reality is uh, that uh, they are very, there's really a handful of questions that includes the most obvious ones from your name, your gender, your age, your date of birth, how you count yourself as far as race is concerned. One of the reasons why this is such an important thing for everyone to know is that we are in a community of what are referred to as hard-to-count populations. Whether you are originally from this country or not, they want to know if you're here. If you are documented or undocumented, want to know that you're here. At the end of the day, what we are counting on is who is here. It's not going to ask you if you're an American citizen or not. It's not going to ask you if you're documented or undocumented. Uh, It's not going to ask uh, any of those sorts of particular questions. So they don't ask for your social security number, for example. They don't ask for any of those sorts of identifiers. What they are looking for are those very simple pieces of information. When they ask it, they're basically asking who is in a dwelling. So, you know, there's kind of the main person, whether that is the owner of the house, the head of the household, whatever the case may be. But they also want to know, are there others within the house? So is there a family? Is it an extended family? Whatever the case may be. But again, although they may want to know that information and maybe that relationship with the person who is the main head of household, that's not going to get much more specific than that. So, you know, people can feel confident that the information that's being asked for is pretty general, but it at least gives a picture of not only who is in the household, but on an aggregate basis, who's in the neighborhood, who's in the city, who's in the part of the city that you're in. Honestly, I can see that being a problem for a lot of families around the community who are undocumented Mm -hmm. and maybe have family members living at the home that 
are undocumented or maybe they, the landlord doesn't know that they're there or there's a lot of different situations where I feel like people could be not okay with giving out that kind of information. Right. So I kind of want to talk a little bit more and just maybe reassure those individuals of how the information is going to be used and some reassurance that it can't come back to them because right. if they give their name, say who's in their household, I mean, to, to them, that's already too much information right. that they're giving somebody. Right. Um, so what can you tell those individuals to maybe give more reassurance? Sure. Well, I think it starts with uh, the type of information that is being requested. Uh, and the reality of it being that because they're not asking for specific information like social security numbers and, oh, I don't have one, because they're not asking for it, then you know it's very hard for anyone to think or to have the evidence that someone that's in this household is documented, but the person over here is not. But if you go beyond that, then you get into what the census is supposed to be able to do by law. And by law, they cannot give particular pieces of information that they collect out. And what that means is that they can't say, oh, we've identified a group of Hispanic or Latino people, therefore, we're going to go tell some enforcement agency, whether it's ICE or anybody else, go over here because that information is protected by law. And any information that is or would be or could be divulged by the Census Bureau comes back on the Census Bureau. Their employees could literally pay fines and go to jail if someone accesses that information incorrectly if they just kind of pull it and call that information. Now, having said that, the whole purpose or one of the many purposes of collecting that information is to provide good data and a good snapshot of communities for those who need it, whether it is, uh, you know, universities that pull that information, whether it's agencies like ourselves that pull that information. So there is um, an academic use and certainly after the uh, census is completed, just like you can look at 2010 census data, you can look at some of the estimates from the 2013-2017 timeframe that they come up with. I mean, you can see the general data that you will get from the census, and anybody can see that today. But the point is that if there is what some may consider to be sensitive information that is specific to their household, that information cannot be released. Census people go to jail if that is released. So they have every reason to not cooperate in that way. I, I sometimes use the example that this isn't the only sort of information that one might consider sensitive that's out there. I mean, your your health records are things that whether you are documented, undocumented, whether you have lived in this country 50 years or five, hospitals collect that. Yet, that does not make its way over to enforcement agencies. And it's the same sort of thing here. The other thing that I think is important, too, is the information that you see on census data are done by census blocks. You know, they are aggregated data that kind of give you a snapshot of a particular area but anyone who looks up that data will know it is not giving data on specific people or it's not even giving it on a block-by-block -block basis. It is aggregated into what they refer to as those uh, census tracts. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think that's the other thing that people need to realize, that even when you give that information 
the product of it is not so granular that it goes by the house or it doesn't go by your neighborhood block. It's looking at a, at a larger area that's still small enough to provide some good data for those who want, want it and use it for whatever public policy purpose they may, be, they may be working on. So hopefully that provides some assurance to people. And you know that's why we want to talk about it now because people will have questions. Your neighbor will have a question. You may have a question. We want to start that conversation now. Thank you to Maximus for sponsoring this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast. Do you want to be involved with the 2020 census? Maximus is still hiring customer service reps, but they're almost finished. Don't miss out on this rare opportunity to impact your community. Stop by 7920 Northwest 110th Street to meet the recruiters for on-the-spot interviews or apply online at Maximus.com forward slash census. Maximus is proud to be an equal opportunity affirmative action employer. Now, we also have in the Northeast community a large population of refugees, immigrants, non-English speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, so give us some information about the different languages mm-hmm. that the census will be in. There will be at least a dozen languages that uh, census information will be coming out in. And as this rolls out over the course, you know, basically of March, as uh, as some things start to get mailed out, and that target date for counting is really around that April first time period. You know, you'll see some things being produced from the census directly. They are also working with a number of agencies, including uh, the city, the Mid America Regional Council, and then there's organizations like ours at Maddie Roads that are out there trying to um, get that information out to the the areas and the and the people that we work with and service. And so what we're hoping to do, at least here in Northeast, is to um, get that information out in a number of languages at a minimum, out in Spanish, out in Swahili. And if we can find interpreters for other languages, we'll get that out too. But that same work is being done by a number of agencies, whether it's through the school district, through um, the housing authority and other groups that are in our area as well. So, you know, in a lot of ways, we're trying to reinforce that message any way that we can. But the census at least has some recognition that English is not a first language for everybody. And so they're trying very much to make it available in other ways and in other languages so that people feel good or feel comfortable in being a part of it. Now, I know you touched on this a little bit before. It's not illegal to not participate in the census as far as not sharing your information, correct? Um, It is, because it is in federal law, it is expected that everyone uh, participates. Now, having said that, there are those who don't or there are those that may fill out some of the information, but not all of it for whatever reason. The census works with that, with, you know, they make some estimates and, you know, that's kind of what they do. You know, again, it goes back to clearly there is an issue of being undercounted, which this community has has experienced. You know, no one went to jail for that, (laughs) just so we're clear. So, you know, our hope is that, you know, we'll continue to cajole, ask, help people go through that process. But generally what most people can expect is, you know, if they don't hear from somebody, they're going to keep reminding them. Although I would say that the days of people knocking at your door 
although that may still occur, may not occur in the degree that it has in previous census efforts. Part of what the census department and what their partners, including ourselves, are really trying to make people aware of is that you don't have to wait. You can go online. There are a number of ways to put in that information. But the um, important aspect, and this may be another way that people feel like it's a bit intrusive, is just the idea that much of this is based on a name. So whether it is a past address, whether it is where people are supposed to be according to the information that uh, may be out there, people are looking for specific people. And there's a reason for that. The reason basically is that the census also doesn't want to double count people so that they, so that you think there are more people than that are actually there. So, you know, I will get in the mail, I am sure at my house, something made out to Scott Wagner by the census and asking me to go online and fill that out. In which case I'll put, here's Scott Wagner, here's my wife, here are my kids. And so they will have that so that they don't go somewhere else and find my name or my wife's name or, or whatever. So a lot of the information, at least at the outset, is based on the name. Who are you? Now, again, you don't have to give a social security number. You're not going to be asked for your blood type or any of that stuff. But it is designed so that you get counted one time. So if you get it, or if you come to the Maddie Road Center around mid-March or so, and there's, we'll have a kiosk there, as will other organizations across the city, and we help you fill out your information, then after that, you shouldn't really be receiving much more than that. Because again, you've been counted once, that's all they ask for. Uh, so what can people expect regarding some kind of timeline for the census? Things will really start heating up around the beginning of March. That is uh, when a lot of things will be sent out. Again, the target date is essentially who is here on April 1st. So that if, for example, because this sometimes comes up, maybe you're pregnant and um, you're expecting a child. Well, if that child comes before April 1st, they want to count that child. If that child comes after April 1st, they'll count them later. Because of that time frame, then you'll really start to see a number of things coming uh, really towards the beginning of March. And that effort will continue through the summer. As you know, if people, for example, do not sign up when they get their first mailer, they may see another one. Then they may see another one until the point at which maybe if they haven't reacted to any of that information, then someone may come knocking on their door. We hope to do from Maddie Rhodes uh, some outreach just to make sure that people who, again, are part of those hard to count populations have the opportunity to be counted. So, you know, that, that March to July, August timeframe is really going to be the key time with the, the first couple of months at March and April being really the time when we're pushing a lot to get people engaged in the conversation. Um, so I'm looking at this flyer here that you uh, passed out earlier, and it looks like you can respond online in 12 different languages, by phone. Obviously, there'll be people coming to your house, possibly for paper questionnaires. They'll have Braille, large print guides. You can respond in person, um, and they'll also have American Sign Language interpretation 
information as well. So it looks like there's a lot of different ways to access this. Where can people go to get more information on the census? how they can um, maybe give their information or if they have further questions. So uh, the main the main website to go to is going to be 2020census.gov. We will also have some information uh, at Maddie Rhodes as we get closer to uh, April 1st. But 2020census.gov will give a lot of the information that we talked about here today. That can also be directed to others who may be interested. I might also mention uh, that they should also be able to access through that website an opportunity to actually be hired and work for the census, as the census is always looking for census takers. And I would tell anyone that's listening that we understand the challenges that are here in Northeast because of the populations that we have and that we deal with. But just as, as it's going to be a challenging or it will have its challenges here in Northeast, it will be challenging in the rest of Kansas City and the rest of the Missouri side and on the Kansas side too. And so for those who may be looking for an opportunity in the short-term one at that, they are, as as of our discussion here today, they're still hiring. Uh, so 2020census.gov can answer questions about the census, but I believe can also be a portal for those who are interested in a short-term position as well. Um, Is there anything else you want to mention to our listeners? Well, I just can't reiterate enough that this is important, um, important for us here in Northeast and important for the city. It's about our representation moving forward, and it's about federal dollars, the very tax dollars that we give coming back into our community. And so I just implore everyone If people start asking about the census, please tell them to participate. We need them to count. Okay. Well, thank you so much for this information. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And that was Scott Wagner, Director of Northeast Alliance Together. Thank you for tuning in to this extra episode of the Northeast Newscast. I'm Elizabeth Orozco.